Hello there, it's Peter Mansbridge, host of The Bridge, where we reflect on the issues of the day and how they could impact you. Politics, public health, technology, they are just some of the topics you'll hear about. Cut through the clutter and tune into The Bridge, a serious XM podcast available everywhere. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production in association with City News. Unless you happen to own and use guns, you probably haven't taken a deep dive into how exactly Canada regulates them. And why would you need to? These rules don't apply to you personally. And whatever Canada's gun laws are, they're obviously vastly more effective than the United States. And that's the bar that we usually use to measure good enough in this country. And until 2020... That was all probably fine, but then things took a turn. We are closing the market for military-grade assault weapons in Canada. The Liberals following through on a campaign promise to crack down on assault-style weapons. 1,500 different models and variants of assault-style firearms are on the chopping block. That clip came after the Nova Scotia massacre the deadliest shooting spree in Canadian history. And there's a key word that you might want to keep in mind from that clip. It is assault style. Now, two years later, the Liberal government is moving to put that initial order into law, and it has stirred up a hornet's nest. Many gun owners say that it would ban the hunting rifles that they've owned and used legally and totally safely for decades. In an interesting side note, Montreal Canadiens goalie, Carey Price, counts himself among those folks. Other people, though, most, in fairness, who have never owned guns, never hunted and have no interest in it, say it's long past time to ban these sorts of weapons, even if they might not understand what sorts of weapons we're banning. And the Liberals, the authors of the bill in question, insisted that it wouldn't infringe on the rights of the average Canadian hunter. But now maybe it does? (sighs) What does Bill C-21 actually cover? Does anyone really know? Why is gun policy in Canada so much show and so little substance? And are the Liberals, as many Conservatives will eagerly tell you, really, actually? Finally, coming to take your guns away. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Matt Gurney is a print and broadcast journalist based in Toronto. He is also the co-founder of The Line and writes extensively on gun policy. Hello, Matt. Hey, man. How you doing? I'm doing really well, and I need your help today on guns. Yeah, guns, man. It's one of the most interesting public policy files in this country right now. But whenever I try to explain it to someone, I can just see the dawning confusion as uh, the more I talk. I I normally hold them about 10 or 15 seconds and then then they're gone. So let's start with this, because I suspect the vast majority uh, of our listeners, myself included, have never gone into the weeds on gun policy in this country because they've never needed to. We can start 
with the basics. As it stands, what are the major categories of guns in Canada? I'll give you the basics and I'll also give you the history here because it's relevant. We kind of had to figure that out and it was during the 1990s. Um, it was uh, Jean Chrétien era liberals. They wanted to shake up uh, reform gun control in Canada. And as part of that process, almost 30 years ago now, uh, they came up with three broad categories of firearms. And the gun nuts who are going to listen to this, guys, I know I'm oversimplifying, but <laughs> I'm trying to make this accessible to, to a, a general audience here. So let's go. On one extreme, we could say uh, relatively routine shotguns and rifles, the kind of things that a, uh, a lot of us uh, of a certain age probably grew up and our parents might have had one in the closet or our grandparents might have had one in the closet. Right. These were called non-restricted firearms. And anyone who wanted to own one had to have a license. Without the license, you couldn't own one. You couldn't buy one. You couldn't sell one to another person and you couldn't buy ammunition for it. But that was kind of the entry level of three categories. I actually want to skip past the second category for a minute. And let me tell you the other extreme. Those were the prohibited guns. These are literal machine guns, fully automatic uh, assault rifles uh, that would be used in the, in the modern uh, armed forces of, of militaries today. Very easily concealed snub-nosed pistols. There weren't a ton of these in the country in the 1990s, but there were some in private hands. And the government said, we don't want to seize anyone's private property, so we're going to grandfather you guys in. They created this category. They called it prohibited. Anyone who currently owned one of those firearms could keep it, but they can't sell it or pass it down to anyone who does not already hold one of those prohibited licenses. I think okay. there was a small carve out for um, family heirlooms, but in general, it was a closed category created 30 years ago that was expected to shrink with the passage of time. And then that category in the middle is sort of where things have always been really interesting. It is called the restricted category. You can get a license for it, but you have to go through a more rigorous process than to get the more basic entry-level license. Uh, more training, more background checks, more safety exams, and also way more conditions on using them and storing them. And then, again, I'm oversimplifying, but that would be m most handguns mm -hmm. and some kinds of rifles. Some kinds of rifles is going to be a big thing as we talk, right? That's exactly right, because... There were these broad technical categories, but what kind of happened starting in the 1990s and ever since then is that politicians, usually for political reasons, have been like, oh boy, it looks really bad for this kind of gun to be in the really low, kind of the basic category. So they would carve out exemptions. Right. And they have also, through legislative exemptions or uh, executive orders, orders in council, They've also moved some firearms into the prohibited category. So in theory, we have very clear technical standards that kind of break down all of these guns into categories. It's length of the barrel, it's rate of fire, it's the kind of ammunition that's used. In theory, we have really easily understood technical specifications. The problem is almost 30 years after we came in with this legislation, there have been so many tweaks and exceptions carved into it. The legislation is honestly, look, I'll, I'll say it this way. I understand why people find it confusing. Hmm. I know this file really well. I find all the exemptions confusing. Before we get to why it's confusing and, and how it might get more confusing imminently, in general, how has this approach worked just as overall gun control to prevent gun violence in this country? 
That's a really interesting question because one of the arguments I've made before, and people kind of get uh, their, their minds lock up a bit when I say this, is that gun control in this country has worked really, really, really well. We have a very low incident of violent crime committed by licensed gun owners in this country. And people kind of go, whoa, whoa, hang on. I, I, there's shootings in my city all the time, or I heard right. the story. Oh, yeah, that, that, that that's for sure. But those are using firearms smuggled in from the United States. We don't know exactly what these numbers are for two reasons. First of all, the criminals aren't openly disclosing this to us. And second of all, police data collection and sharing. And tell me this is not a, a pan-Canadian story. It's not as good as it could be. So there are very hard limits on how much information we can ever have about firearms being used to commit homicides or crimes. And even some of the information we could collect, we're not doing a good job on it. But in a general sense, according to uh, all the major law enforcement agencies in this country, we think about 80 to 90 percent or more of the firearms being used in the violent uh, shootings in this country are directly traceable to the United States. Hmm. And then people go, well, OK, maybe that's 10 to 20 percent that are directly traceable to Canada. Yeah, maybe. But those 10 to 20 percent are not traced to Canada. They're just not traced to the United States. We honestly don't know where they come from. Maybe the serial number's been destroyed, something like that, or, or it's an older gun and it never had a, a market here. We do have a serious problem with gun violence in this country, but it is overwhelmingly not a problem that is actually addressable by our gun control system. Our gun control system works really well at doing what it is supposed to do. It regulates the lawful purchase and use of firearms by licensed individuals and businesses. It's been a huge public policy success on that front and has kept the rate of violent crime by those licensed individuals and, and businesses at a very negligible level. It's just outside of that, we also have significant problems with organized crime and gang violence in this country, overwhelmingly committed with guns smuggled in from the United States. You can't solve that problem of smuggled guns with the gun control system. It's it's a category error. Right. And like you cannot possibly tighten up restrictions on gun stores enough to interrupt the flow of smuggled guns from the United States. So leaving the smuggled guns aside right now, because they're not covered by uh, the bill we're going to discuss today, gun control has generally worked really well since the 1990s. How has this changed, either in theory or practice, since, and I guess this is kind of an inflection point, since the Nova Scotia massacre in 2020? See, you're catching on. We were joking before we started rolling that you're not a gun guy, but you just asked a great question where you said in theory or in fact. So you're right. no dummy, man. You're catching up. You're well, I just ask <laughs> that question all the time with this government. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's fair. All right, let me let me walk you through the fairly recent history of gun control in Canada. And I find this really, really interesting. So 2015, Trudeau liberals are elected with a majority. They had promised uh, that they were going to get tough on guns. So it's part one of their, uh, you know, I don't remember the exact wording, but in 2015, like, hey, we're going to we're going to crack down on guns. They came out in their first term with Bill C-71. It was their comprehensive overhaul of the Canadian firearms regime. And what's really interesting about it, and I wrote about it extensively at the time because this is just one of my beats, they didn't actually change that much. And I think to an extent that they were almost frustrated by how little they were able to change it. It was already fine enough. 
yeah, but they didn't want to admit that. Right. And like, that's the really interesting thing. So they talked about it, they talked about it, they talked about it. And then they came out with this legislation and then they kept talking about, we are reversing the Harper error, you know, erosion of our gun control laws. And I was actually flipping through the legislation and there was some stuff in there that was a good idea. I liked some of it. There was some stuff in there that was a really stupid idea. There was a bunch of stuff in there that didn't really accomplish much of anything. But overall, and this is what I find fascinating, you, you take a step back, you look at it with at the big picture. It was a very modest effort. Not much change. And as I wrote at the time, the liberals are grumpy about this, but Bill C-71 is a very tacit acknowledgement that the status quo was actually working just fine. Hmm. And then a couple of things happened. And you've pointed to the Nova Scotia shooting. I actually think it was two other things that kicked this off. First of all, the Liberals lost their majority in 2019. Right. They became entirely dependent on a very small number of must-win ridings in urban or suburban areas where gun control, particularly with female voters, which is sort of Justin Trudeau's last remaining loyal voter block, is of a very popular issue. And the other thing that happened, I actually don't think was the Nova Scotia shooting. I think it was the New Zealand massacre. In, in, New, in New Zealand, they announced sort of a sweeping ban of, on guns, and that kind of set the, the progressive high bar for like-minded leaders of today. And I remember saying to some of my friends at the time, there is no way Justin Trudeau is not going to find some way to match this. In 2019, heading into early 2020, the liberals started talking about banning assault-style rifles. And they needed a while to come up with the terminology they were going to use on that. Because remember, I, I talked with you earlier about those three categories? What they were trying to do at this point was almost create a fourth category, mm -hmm. looking at things that were in the non-restricted entry-level category or that second restricted category and basically go, well, we don't care that these aren't actually assault rifles, that these don't meet the technical specifications. We're going to call them assault style. And that, like, that term doesn't have any meaning. Yeah. Like, I, I joked in, in a recent article I wrote, like, imagine uh, you come over to my house, man, and I offer you, like, a food-style snack. You're, <laughs> you're probably not going to take that. Would you like a beer-style beverage? Like, no one—style is a huge red flag. Yeah. And then the Nova Scotia shooting happened uh, in early 2020. Those were, again, firearms that had been smuggled in from the United States. Those firearms were not linked to Canada, and the owner— I believe, was not authorized to own firearms in Canada. Right. So again, this is one of those failures that is outside the gun control system. But what the liberals then did is that they announced a ban on what they called 1,500 types of military-style assault rifle. There's two problems with this. The first is, like I said, like style is a huge red flag for, for dishonesty and, and disinfo. The other problem is that it actually wasn't 1,500. So imagine you banned the Honda Civic, and then you declared that you had actually banned a series of cars because you banned like the entry-level model. You, you banned the model with all the bells and whistles, the, the hmm. midline version. Right, the one with a CD player, the one with a display. Yeah, exactly. All you've really done is ban the Honda Civic. You've banned a kind of car, but there's a bunch of different versions it comes in, and you go with the higher number because it sounds more impressive. The liberals did that with an order in council. It's an executive order, and they did it in the days after the Nova Scotia massacre. And as you'll recall, call from some other conversations that kind of got Commissioner Lucky of the RCMP in some trouble here. Yes. There's been a suggestion that the liberals were really, really, really eager to, to move quickly on gun control on this one. Since then, and it's been more than two years, 
they haven't really advanced their ban on these so-called rifles. They've been having consultations, they've been having hearings, but nothing's really gone anywhere on this. And I think they're running into the problem that would have been obvious to a guy like me, and I was writing this at the time, which is that their proposal didn't really make sense. It's hard to define, it's hard to execute, it's really hard to enforce. And we've had two years of inaction on this front up until fairly recently. And here we're kind of getting up to the meat of, of the current controversy. In Parliament right now is Bill C-21. It is a piece of legislation that was going to enact the so-called handgun freeze, which is that the liberals have said, if you currently own handguns, you can keep them, but you can't buy new ones. You can't sell them to anyone else, and we're not importing any new ones into the country. Yeah. Okay, I think that's dumb, but whatever. We like that. Well, that's a topic for another podcast. They, what they also wanted to do in this legislation was uh, legislate their executive order into force here. So those 1,500-style, uh, military-style guns, which was really a couple dozen varieties. Okay. But they had to come up with a way of doing it. It went through first reading in the House. It went through second reading at committee. And it was exactly what we expected it to be. It was the handgun freeze, and it was those um, those few dozen kinds of uh, military-style rifles. What happened two weeks ago, when the prime minister was testifying in Ottawa, the Public Order Emergency Commission, when his cabinet was testifying in Ottawa, in other words, when no one in Ottawa was paying attention to anything else, right. a liberal MP introduced an amendment to Bill C-21. Okay, that happens. That's part of the legislative process here. Immediately, the conservatives, and they said so publicly, and they also tipped me and I imagined a few other journalists off privately, was, Gurney, stop paying so much attention to POEC. Go look at this amendment. And I'm saying, guys, like, I'm busy. I'm on assignment. I don't have time for this right now. One of my friends, and he, he's a conservative uh, parliamentarian, sent me a picture of the original C-21, just a stack of papers on his desk. And then he sent me a picture of the amendment, and it was about six times as high, that same stack of paper. So I think we have an issue here of sort of almost democratic abusive process. You're not supposed to, in the middle of a legislative process, introduce amendments that fundamentally alter the scope of a bill. That's not what you're supposed to do. Right. But, but we, can, we can leave that to one side here. What has been proposed here would be a massive expansion of gun control in Canada. It would completely blow up those three categories I told you about at the beginning. It would abandon really any of the technical standards we've been using since the 1990s, and it would bring in a completely new technical standard. Hmm. The thing is, Jordan, I, I don't care if it's good policy or not. Like, that's actually a, a totally fair debate we can have. I actually think to a certain extent, it solves a problem for the liberals because they have come up with a coherent technical policy. They say if any gun has an external magazine, and this is terminology again, I'm sorry for this. If it fires center fire ammunition, sorry, and it uses an external magazine, sorry again, technical terms, we're just going to prohibit all of them. That's a coherent policy, Okay, but what it does is it dramatically changes how guns are currently uh, classified in this country, and I don't think the liberals knew what they were doing. And what I mean by that, two things. First of all, the liberals are really good at politics. They're the best politicians we have in this country. I say this with some frustration and some admiration, and their politics on this was bad. Hmm. They didn't have talking points ready. They hadn't been briefed properly. There was obvious confusion in their earlier comments. 
And they've also been promising for years, oh, we're going to crack down on those military assault-style assault weapons, but don't worry, we're not coming after your hunting guns. This will catch thousands of models of hunting guns, probably including millions of individual firearms, and I don't think they realized it. Hello there, it's Peter Mansbridge, host of The Bridge, where we reflect on the issues of the day and how they could impact you. Politics, public health, technology, they are just some of the topics you'll hear about. Cut through the clutter and tune into The Bridge, a Sirius XM podcast available everywhere. This is the question that I have and that I think thousands of other listeners and, and Canadians who are probably responsible gun owners have. How does a bill change this much from one amendment and where did it come from? You know, you mentioned that Prime Minister Trudeau was busy testifying. His whole team was probably supporting him. Who introduced this and did the rest of the party even have an idea what was going on? It was introduced by an Ontario area MP. Um, I, I wish I could remember his name. I, I feel unprepared now. But to the to the bigger question of kind of how this happens, I think that's actually the question, right? Because this, I mean, I mean, the literal answer is it got introduced as an amendment at the Public Safety uh, Committee, which was reviewing Bill C twenty one as part of the normal legislative process. And the liberals are working with the cooperation of the bloc and the NDP, and they do have a majority on that committee. And if all three parties agree on these amendments, boom, it, it just it goes into the act and then it gets voted on in the House eventually. And again, the liberals do have an effective majority with the cooperation of the other parties. But to the actual question here, I mean, that's the boring procedural answer. But what happened is that everybody seemed to agree, yeah, okay, we'll go with these amendments. But then what has been happening, and this is exactly kind of that confusing chaos you're alluding to there, is you have the conservatives going, whoa, you're banning a ton of uh, hunting rifles. And Marco Mendocino is tweeting, don't believe the hype. We have the prime minister of Canada going, we're not coming after your hunting guns. And then a couple of days go by and there's a change in the messaging. And it just happened this week. And I'd been hearing there's been a lot of buzz, just kind of off record on background stuff that the liberals... And again, I cannot tell you how this happened or why this happened, but that the left hand didn't know what the right hand was doing. Hmm. And they're suddenly kind of realizing, hey, did we just ban like thousands of kinds of, of hunting rifles and, and millions of individual guns? And they're going, oh, yeah, we did. And they're, they're all looking at each other going, well, whose idea was that? <laughs> so just in the last couple of days, a couple of interesting things have happened. And we have to acknowledge that just this week, we've had the 33rd anniversary of uh, Lacole Polytechnique shooting. Yeah, I was getting to that. Even like when you've been following this issue like I have, I have noticed a big sudden change in the communications. So last week, Marco Mendocino, a guy who seems to have only a passing familiarity with the truth on a lot of issues, is saying, this is conservative disinformation. This is hype. The prime minister is going, ah, don't believe the conservatives. We're not doing this. And by Monday and Tuesday of this week, they're like, hey, we're listening to Canadians and we're open to making changes here. And oh, yeah, OK, maybe uh, maybe we need to work on this a little bit more. Something changed. And I don't honestly know, and believe me, I'm trying to figure this out. I don't know if they sort of actually realized for the first time. They read their own bill? Yeah. Or at least had somebody explain to them what it actually means. Like, I don't think the liberals have a ton of guys on, on the benches there that are knowledgeable of firearms. 
you know, I don't think there's sort of like a liberal firearms caucus or even necessarily some people in the party who kind of understand the technicalities of this. So this is this is speculation. I want to be very clear about that. But okay. what I'm wondering is if they basically said to the bureaucrats, yeah, this is kind of what we're trying to do. And the bureaucrats kind of took notes and nodded. And they're like, well, we'll come up with something. Hmm. And then they came up to them and they're like, hey, what do you think of this? And some MPs and ministers who didn't understand anything they're looking at go, yeah, that sounds fine. Right. And then it gets written up and then introduced. One of the interesting things about this that's going to be so difficult for the liberals here is that one of the largest communities that uses the affected firearms in this country is the indigenous community. And there was no consultation done on this. Now, there was witness testimony and consultation done in the original version of the bill, but not in the amended bill. So that whole part of the process got skipped here. So the liberals are changing their tone. The NDP is clearly breaking ranks. Charlie Angus, the the NDP MP, was going, "Well, we got to, we got to, we got to take this uh, amendment back. We 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 screwed up here." Even the block, very sensitive around the Cole Polytechnique anniversary, mm-hmm. has been suddenly cautious in their communications here. If you're the liberals, and all of a sudden the NDP. And the block is getting wary of this. Plus, you've somehow picked a fight with Kerry Price, yes. which is sort of one of the weird side stories of this thing, because he's been tweeting against the bill because uh, Mr. Price is a, is a hunter. The liberals are normally the best at gun politics in this country. They aren't this time. And my gut feeling is that they're looking to find some way to, to either abandon this or at least walk it back a bit. I don't know which one it'll be yet. Nothing was going to happen until the Cole, Poly, uh, the Cole Polytechnique anniversary was behind us. Now that it is, I wouldn't be shocked if after a respectful pause, this amendment either gets significantly watered down or maybe sometime over the Christmas break just quietly dies and gets pulled entirely. I'd like to hear a little bit more about the pushback. And yes, uh, you can mention Carey Price uh, if you want. But, you know, leaving aside the conservatives who, whether or not they're right uh, in their criticism on this file, obviously have a vested interest in making the liberals look ridiculous. There was a lot of pushback from across the country on this, except for maybe those urban centers that are the ridings that the liberals need to win to keep a minority government. So, you know, how much does that matter to them, and is it worth, you know, keeping those absolutely necessary writings to piss off tens of thousands or more of just plain old Canadian hunters who are probably not voting liberal anyway? It's a really interesting question. And in the aftermath of the 2021 election, where Aaron O'Toole actually had a great campaign and he has seemed to have the momentum and some people were starting to wonder, my God, is it going to be Prime Minister Aaron O'Toole? And then over the Labor Day weekend, the liberals started beating him over the head with the gun control file and the conservatives never really recovered. In the aftermath of that election, a buddy of mine who is part of the conservative campaign told me, you know, one day the liberals are going to go back to the gun control well, and it's going to be that trip too many. And they're going to find out that there's no voters left who care about this issue, who are not already voting for them. But there's a lot of voters who maybe were ambivalent to them who have decided they've just had enough. And every, like everything in politics, it's just like the laws of physics, man. Like every action has an equal and opposite reaction here. You have to pick your battles really well. Up until now, the liberals have done really well with gun control. It's been one of their best political files. I think most of their policies have been stupid, but I can't deny that the politics has been great. Right. And it, it makes me cynical to have to kind of admit that, but there you go. And I think 
what we might be seeing now, and this is purely my speculation, but maybe this is that trip to the well. Maybe the liberals thought, hey, we'll go back to gun control one more time. It'll energize our voters. And the liberals have been flagging in the polls for a while. Donations are down. Pierre Polyev's looking pretty good in the polls. Not not like a commanding lead, but he's had a good few months. Weirdly, I thought the, I thought the POEC commission would be very hard for him, but he kind of went to ground and stayed out of sight. And I think the liberals are like, well, hey, you know, we'll head into the holidays. We got the uh, Lacole Polytechnique anniversary coming up. We'll go big on guns one more time. And they seem to be finding out this time that not only is there not any further benefit to them electorally, but also that the pushback here is probably exceeding whatever limited benefit there is. And the interesting thing is that even the NDP, and I've been reading about this in the National Post, I've been reading about this in the Hill Times, even the NDP is now starting to go, "Uh uh-uh. The liberals are a highly urban party now. That's their base of support. The NDP, about half their base of support is urban, but they still have rural and Western Canadian strength, about half their caucus, roughly just using big picture numbers here. The NDP cannot write off those voters as easily as the Liberals can. And the Liberals can't do anything right now without the NDP. So last question then. Uh, You mentioned your bet is this maybe just vanishes. And then if so, does that failed attempt get hung around their necks whenever we go to the polls again? Yeah, I think it does. And this is what I find really interesting here, just about the electoral strategy. I always try to be honest about what I know for a fact and what I'm guessing about, and this is me guessing. Sure. The tone has already changed. Over the last week, like I said, in a a week we've gone from the Minister of Public Safety and the Prime Minister and others in, in the Liberal Caucus calling the criticism of their amendment misinformation, calling it lies, calling it hype. All of a sudden, they've backed off from that. We have seen an almost united criticism of this bill across the Canadian media. Even even outlets that I would normally consider to be relatively friendly to gun control are kind of going, you missed the mark on this one. Like, Like, this is not the kind of bill that we need right now. The liberals have been looking around for a week trying to see, is this working with the people we need it to work with? And it's not. It's also really aligning a series of guys against them. Because there's an interesting nuance here. People tend to think gun voters in Canada are a monolithic block. They're really not. The guys who just like to you know, hunt moose or, or dock or whatever, or the skeet shooters, uh, the militaria collectors, these guys are not the same as the target pistol shooters and the guys who do competitive shooting. Right. And the liberals have always been very careful about this, saying to the hunters and the collectors, don't worry, guys, we're not coming after you. We're going after the handgun guys or we're going after those weirdos who own those military style guns. I don't know if it's been as effective as they would want, but it wasn't zero percent effective. The gun advocacy movement in this country now is completely united in a way I haven't seen in a generation. The uh, indigenous community is now in line with the the gun movement in a way I haven't seen in a generation. The conservatives, you've probably noticed this already, Pierre Polyev has been very deliberate about reaching out to the indigenous uh, communities in this country. This is a godsend for him. And as one strategist I know here in Toronto told me, a, a liberal strategist at that, One of the problems for the liberals with this bill is that up until now, they'd probably been thinking, hey, when the election comes, we'll sandbag Polyev on guns. Polyev doesn't need to do anything on guns right now. 
The liberals have handed him that vote. Hmm. Polyev can just walk around and make very benign statements about, hey, we're going to get tough on crime, but we're going to respect uh, law-abiding uh, target shooters. That's all he has to say on this one. Like, if you're the liberals here, yeah, maybe you pull this to, or water it down, whichever it is, to not get into trouble with your coalition partners or your, sorry, your confidence and supply partners. But you've still done the damage. So I think we have seen before with these liberals going back 20 years, even with the long gun registry, which kind of became a fiasco. They're really good at this until it stops working for them. And then they back off and they leave it alone for a long time. I don't know if they're going to leave it alone, but I think for the first time in seven years, they tried to do something on guns and no pun intended, it blew up in their face. That should make them a little more cautious. We'll see if it does. This is what happens when you actually put on paper that you're coming to take people's guns. That's bang on. And, you know, again, when you've been saying all along, hey, don't worry, we're not coming for your guns. We're going after a few of these guns, but we're not coming after hunters. No, forget it. We're going to take them all. <laughs> yeah. Like You've tipped your hand and you've also shown yourself. And I know exactly what the conservative line is going to be, whether it was deliberate or incompetent. Either way, you can't trust these guys. Matt, thank you for this. Uh, I think we all need to understand this a bit better, and now I do. Well, I hope it made some sense for, for you and your listeners. But anytime, glad to come on. And if anything develops on this, uh, call me back. We'll, we'll do it again. Okay, thanks again. Take care. That was Matt Gurney. You can find lots of his writing and editing at The Line. That was The Big Story. For more from us, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. Find us on Twitter at thebigstoryfpn. Talk to us anytime via email, hello at thebigstorypodcast.ca. Subscribe to our podcast ad-free on Apple Podcasts with TBS+. And of course, call us, leave a message, 416-935-5935. I would love to hear what you think if you are a responsible gun owner who has read this bill. You can also get this podcast wherever you get them, and you can ask a smart speaker to play The Big Story Podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow. Hi there. I'm Gavin Crawford. I'm a writer, an actor, and a comedian. And for the last eight or nine years, I have been navigating life with my mother's increasing dementia. Has it been sad? Yeah. Has it been funny? Also, yeah. That's what my brand new podcast series, Let's Not Be Kidding, is about. It's the true story of my life as a comedian, my mom, and dementia. Let's Not Be Kidding, with me, Gavin Crawford. A new seven-part series from CBC Podcasts, available now.